0: I brought my own water. (laughs) I was waiting so long. (laughs) My glass evaporated. (laughs) Uh, What a privilege, isn't it, to be here, to see Matty getting that uh, 25 years. Thank you. My name is Benny and I'm an alcoholic. I'm a proud member of the Fellowship Group and I bring you the greetings tonight uh, of the Fellowship Group in Oakville. Which is the best group in the world. For me. In that group I I met a sponsor. I hate him. (laughs) God, he was a tough guy. And he took me into recovery. It was the best thing that ever happened to Benny. We have all sorts of people in this group of mine. A lot of Scotsmen. You know, people tell me to, uh, you know, I don't know if you, if you heard through this Scottish accent or uh, uh, this Oakville accent that I am Scottish, right, you know. <laughs> my grandparents are from Sligo, Island, so I guess I'm half Irish and I'm half Scottish. I grew up in this horrible dilemma all my life because half of me wants to get drunk, but the other half don't want to pay for it, you see. <laughs> <laughs> what a What a dilemma. Wow. You know, and, and in this, in this, in this home group of mine, there's, uh, there's Australians and New Zealanders, there's Jamaicans, there's Indian, uh, from India. Uh, we have the accent group they call us, you know. They're always saying, speak English. <laughs> Would you please speak nice and slow? <laughs> you know, as Marty will tell you, you know, we have a grapevine problem up in Canada. They don't sell enough grapevines, right? Uh, I was involved in service for 10 years. I was CPC chairperson for Western Ontario. I went through the DCM and all that kind of route to get there. And uh, I know all about the problems. But we have a guy in our group who has a problem like me. He speaks with a funny accent. And people tell him to be quiet or slow up. or And he sells the grapevines. He's a grapevine guy. And when he goes up there to sell these grapevines, he says, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> my name, you him. Know, my name is, he's a little less. my name is Andy, and I am the grapevine rep for the fellowship group. <laughs> we sell these grapevines at each would you like to buy one or would you like me to read it to you (laughs) you
1: know you know we get through 30
0: grapevines every time he he does that you know so there's a good idea to take back to general service about grapevines you know right away right you know Get somebody that nobody wants to talk to and uh, they'll buy a two-dollar grape and get rid of them.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, do you realize that when all this happened, the bonus that we have today that 65 years ago, precisely actually but 65 years ago, there was more people in this room sober tonight than there was in the whole of North America. Because of the Alcoholics Anonymous. There was, there was more people here today sober than there was in the whole of North America. 65 years ago. Because, uh, one guy talked to A.B. Thatcher, Roland Hazard, and A.B. carried the message to Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson carried the message to Dr. Bob. Stayed sober. Wrote a book called The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous was published, and it touched the heart of everybody out there. There's millions of us. I don't know how many books. Somebody told me there's about 12 million books out there before the fourth edition. I just wonder. I know so many alcoholics today who are not going to meetings, but are sober. And I guess they're not alcoholics of my type. Because alcoholic of my type has to go to meetings. I have to. I have to go to be with you people. I have to go to grow spiritually. To read this book on a constant basis. To put God into my heart. The key of willingness. The key of willingness is something that I didn't want. For years and years I got to that fifth step. And don't you know I would do my fifth step. I wasn't willing to go any further. To lift the barriers. From my life. So that God could shine in my life. Every time I lift a barrier or put a barrier down, I lift it to to see God or block God off. What do I want in my life? Of course, I want to live in the fellowship of the Spirit. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for this alcoholic. It's lifted the barriers in my life because I am willing today. I'm a man in transition. I am willing to grow, to be a better person. There was a movie Uh, Jack Nicholson was in it, and 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 the lady says to him, "Tell me something nice." And he looked at her, and he says, "You want uh, when I work with you, I want you. You want me to be a better man. That's what I want to be a better man. So you people give me. You make me want to be a better man. Wow, what a bonus! You know what I deserve." I hear so much about deserving and Alcoholics Anonymous. I deserve to be underneath the bridge, drinking a bottle of wine, in a brown paper bag, and lightly be empty. That's what I deserve, you know. That's my will. But I don't run in my will anymore, you see. I run in God's will. And God's will for me is to be here tonight. You know, thank you. Thanks to the lady who I forgot her name who phoned me a year ago and asked me to come here. And, you know, when they phone you a year in advance, you know, you don't have too much on, right, you know. <laughs> I had to say yes, you know. <laughs> uh, Thunder Bay. I thought, oh, my God, the last time I was there, I was drunk as a skunking. You know, I went in the golf course and the mosquitoes were lifting me off the ground. taking. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to mate with me, you know. <laughs>
1: they
0: wanted to look under my kilt, you know. <laughs> and I think, what do I want? And then of course I met this, this man here. And he brought me up here to meet, I heard so much about Victor, I, I, you know, I was praying he wouldn't finish last night. I could have went another half hour of Victor, he was absolutely phenomenal, I loved him, you know. And, uh, and all the other, be- the Alan on speaker, I forgot, oh, my god, I got all down here, you know. Valerie, uh, and all the beautiful speakers. And I hope I'm worthy. To be a part of this. Sometimes I don't think I'm worthy of all this. You know, I do this job quite a bit now uh, through the grace of God and you people. Uh, I guess this is my job. This is my job to carry the message of Alcoholics in the morning, Anonymous to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Share my experience, my strength, my hope. My strength I was given because I'm a coward. I'm a coward. It was given to me through God in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous with nothing. I was a shell. I didn't have anything. I had no dignity. I didn't know what dignity was. I lay in a bed. I was Velcroed. I was in a room with bars in the window. I I woke up. I was Velcroed to a bed. I asked why. I had been there for five days. And they told me because of what I was going through, they had to Velcro me to the bed like an animal. My kidneys had failed. My bowels had failed. I got hepatitis and jaundice in the hospital. I just went. And all I was was looking for was a good time. You know? I would tell my Alan and wife and I'd say to her, uh, you know, I'm not hurting anybody else but me. (laughs) Well, You know, I'm my own worst enemy. And she said, not when I'm still alive, buddy. (laughs) I phoned her five minutes before I came in here. She told me the same story. (laughs) Just go tell him who the boss is. Uh, I come from uh, uh, Glasgow, Scotland. I uh, grew up with a loving mother and father. My mother was uh, five, four feet ten, eleven. She was a, b- a little thing about this height, and she had a little fuse in her head, <laughs> and she didn't drink, you know. And you know, I knew how to light that fuse, you know. Uh, she called me Dennis the Menace. I had, a, I had a father who was a hard drinking, hard fighting, hard working Scotsman. I had him on a pedestal because I wanted to be like him, you know. And my mother, God love her. We stayed in a, we had nothing. Well, you know what? When, when I started doing this job, I would send my mother home a tape to show her th- th- how, how well her son is doing. And, and I would say something like, you know, we had nothing. You know? Nothing. And she would phone me up and she says, why are you telling all these people over there we had nothing? <laughs> I says, well, we didn't have any toys. Things to do, play things. We came from a, from a shipbuilding town. Just like this area. It was all ships in the port, Claybank. We built the Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth, the Brad Britannia. We built all the big canard ships. And uh, everybody worked. You know, everybody. We didn't have anything. We lived in houses that were owned by the, the town or the, or, or the people who we worked for. Uh, and we didn't have any things. But we had love. We had understanding. And we had a mother who was four feet eleven who had a rage, uh, unbelievable. And she, she, uh, she was, had an understanding of God which I, I envied. She had a, an understanding of the God that she understood that I envied. She had no conditions on God. And I couldn't believe that. And especially in my drinking. I remember when I met my mother in Florida. I took her over to Florida. Look, your son's doing good, you know, and he's off the booze. And and and, and I got up at 9 o'clock in the morning to go to my meeting on the beach. And she says, where are you going, son? And I says, I'm, I'm going to see God, Mom. And she says, I'm so happy for you. And I says, you don't understand. And I said, what do you mean? She says, what do you mean? I says, you don't understand. you God that you believe in, Catholic. I see, as, 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 as a God that, that, that I feared. She says, so you, I, you don't understand my God. And she says, no, you're wrong, son. She said, you're wrong. You see, I don't have a problem with God. Well, I don't have a problem with God. And that was my problem all my life. I had a problem with God. And she didn't. Her God of her understanding was unconditional she was like kicking me in the nuts <laughs> you know <laughs> that was my last confrontation with my mother <laughs> I thought she was so stupid you know at the, t- at the time when we were growing up, we used to go to church with my mother, and she had this little fur coat which she used to throw over the bed. She would t- put the fur coat on, and, and and she would all we would all fall there like the little ducks in the ducklings, and, and and we're all behind my mother going to church twice or three times a week, you know. And uh, that's what she wanted from us, and that's what we did. We never says no. Uh, I was the rebellious type. She always had a problem with me. Uh that uh, she was the one, when I was always getting into trouble, she would always tell everybody, I'm going to see the priest. We're getting you to go to the priest. And my father would be saying, oh, my God, leave him alone. My two brothers, my two sisters would be standing at the door crying. And I would have my coat on saying, come on, Mom, let's go to see the priest. And she would beat me, you know. I mean, today she would be jailed, you know. But she would get the, the stick and she would... and she had this little fur coat and it was a pride and joy because we didn't have nothing (laughs) but my mother had a fur coat and you know and we were and we were listening to at that time we were listening to Davy Crockett right king of the Wild frontier (laughs) right Davy Crockett hats everybody had Davy Crockett hats and guns and we had nothing (laughs) but my mother had a fur coat you see and, and I had two sisters who could sew because we had to sew our own clothes. And, 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 and i get the coat. And, and when my mother comes home from work, she's got a fur jacket. And we're all running about with David Crockett hats, you know. <laughs> and my mother was a disciplinarian, as I've told you. And that night, she took so much discipline out in me, I'll never forget it. Honest to God, you know, it was terrible, you know. We, we, uh, we lived in a, a house that had three beds. There was my mother, my father, my grandfather. There was my two brothers, my two sisters, there was my aunt, uh, there was, and, and there was, <laughs> and there was my two cousins. <laughs> and I, and, and I slept, and my little aunt, she, she was a bit deformed, she had a bad back, She a humpback, and, and we lit, we, we, she slept, slept between me and my brother, you see. And the bed that we slept in was like that. <laughs> and my ba- brother would balance in one side of the bed, I would balance on the other side of the bed and we would put my aunt in the middle just to level it off, huh? (laughs) You know? And, uh, my brother was a bed wearer. (laughs) Talk about resentment. (laughs) And he would roll over the top of my aunt. He would cock his leg over the top of me, relieve himself every night, And then roll back to the dry part.
1: (laughs) And he didn't like me telling
0: him that tape as well, every time you get a tape, you know. But I used to, you know, the reason I'm here is because of resentment. Some people came to Minneapolis, they heard my tape about resentment, the number one offender, and called me. And that was my first resentment was towards my brother. I remember it. He would pee on me and then, and then roll back to the dry part. But I used to think about it now because, you know, there was a little bit of happiness in there because that was the only bit of of heat that we used to get all night, you know. know? (laughs) But a a minute or two anyway, you know. (laughs) And we had a good upbringing. You know, I, I'm not here because my mother had a square nipple. No. No. I ain't here because my mother used to beat me. You know that. She didn't know any better, you know. I'm not here because of any of that stuff. I don't. I I can laugh at all that stuff today because of you people. You know. I can laugh at it and share with you things that really, really used to bother me. You people did that. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me that ability, you know. I I grew up, met a lady. uh She's beautiful young lady, uh you know, I, I I got a trade, I'm a former steamfitter. Uh we decided after I had uh finished my apprenticeship that we would come to Canada to do it Benny's way. And I took my victim, came to Canada, didn't know anybody to get away from all the responsibility of our parents and my parents came to Canada and uh to do it Benny's way. Uh, we got here the first time. Now, I'm going to tell you something about an alcoholic. I know nothing about alcoholism. I know nothing about heavy, if I'm a heavy drinker or a light drinker or any kind of drinker. I just drink. I don't care. I think everybody drinks like me. You know, I get to Canada and uh, the guy says to me, we're going to the Knob Hill hotel, hotel in Toronto. We go to the Knob Hill Hotel. Uh, it's uh, 15 cents a beer. I get $2 with me. I get uh, 12 beers. 20 cent tip to the waiters. And I'm a drunk as a skunk for two bucks. What a country. Uh, what a country. I'm in heaven. I'm hanging out this guy's window. He'd never seen me in my life, you know. I'm shouting to all the, pa- all the pedestrians. I'm shouting, "Woo!" What a country you can get run drunk for two bucks!
1: <laughs>
0: Is that a normal thought? <laughs> you know? I don't know if that was a normal thought or an alcoholic thought. But that's it. You know, I can tell you, honest to God, I can't remember my first Coca-Cola.
1: <laughs>
0: I can't remember my first joint. I, I and I can remember who was. but I can't even remember about my first sex. <laughs> Whether it be alone or with a partner, but <laughs> I I I I I can't remember when it was, but I can tell you exactly my first drunk d- drunk. Right, I can tell you today, but it was like the first three times I get drunk, I was blacked out. I can remember, it. and at the blackout, I can remember coming out of the blackout, and that's the way I thought everybody drunk. And I came to Canada, and I was a bear. I was a fighter when I was drinking. I loved to fight. I've had my nose redone three times teeth done put them kicked out my head everything else you know just to prove something you know and uh it don't work eh? when you're my size <laughs> and you get drunk I'm going to tell you there's bigger guys than, that, than me out there I can tell you and uh, they like to they like to hit you back I didn't know nothing about hockey players when I came to this country
1: eh?
0: <laughs> oh boy I picked the wrong place to come and fight I can tell you but I came here to fight it was a good life, and we got things in life, and we, we, we. Uh, I got a good job, and and we got a house, and and we were doing good. Two tradespersons were working, and and uh, after about eight years, she, came, my wife, came in and told me that she was pregnant. I wanted to be like my father, you see, in my mind's eye, in reflection, I want to be like my father, but I resented the fact that this lady who was loving me, looking after me working for me all about me who's going to have to start giving some time to a child that I was supposed to be bringing helping bringing up and bringing into this earth it was it. we had a little boy called Jamie and before that boy was a year old I ran away I'm not proud of that I can't do nothing about it I've dealt with it Uh, she put the house out for sale she came down and seen me in the legion Uh, we got a lawyer signed some papers a lawyer sent me a cheque for $12,700 in the early 70s. Wow. Anyway, I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing worse than an alcoholic with bad luck. is an alcoholic with good luck and money.
1: <laughs>
0: and that was me. Right? I had money. Uh, normal guy, maybe I'll think about investing it. No. See, I don't want, I'm about 29 years old now. Defty. and I don't want to be with people with responsibilities you see so I don't want to run about with people like my age I want to go in with, with the in crowd I want to go where the in crowd go you see I want to go to the bars where the young guys and gals are hanging around so when I go there they're doing things that I had never seen before they're smoking and snorting and jabbing and they're doing everything and I'm shocked but you know something I'm an adapter I can adapt right in there right you know <laughs> Amen. Amen. You know. It took 18 months. 18 months. And I had to leave town in the dark of night because of another woman. Right? And I'm, I, I'm, I ain't got $12,700. I get nothing. I get a rolled up carpet. I got a little stereo. I got a, a guy who sticks it in a truck for me. We leave in the dark of night and into Toronto. Uh, into a rooming house and down at Parkside. If you know that area, it's all rooming houses. It's one feet off the street. You know, I'm in there. I'm still working. You know, I'm still working. But I'm doing things I had never done before. I made a buddy down there, you know. And this buddy of mine, he's drinking Ruby Rouge. Jordan's Ruby Rouge. Four dollars a gallon. I'm in. <laughs> you know, and he says. He sits in front of me with his bottle of Ruby Rouge, and I sit in every night. And a bottle of that, a, a bag of that homegrown stuff that we don't talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> you know, stuff that gives you the hernia.
1: <laughs>
0: big joint, whoo man, you know. And we get this, I don't know if you've ever drunk that Jordan's Ruby Rouge, you know, it's got the big steel cap. You know, and it's a gallon bottle. It's like an ashtray you can always tell Ruby rouge drinker there's the ones with the big purple marks in their face (laughs) Uh, what a life we had a great time I got no money I'm sleeping inside my carpet that's what I got I got a rolled up carpet it's a carpet for one I get no company no relationships I've never met a woman who wanted to join me in my carpet you know (laughs) Would you like to come home with me tonight? And we're we'll really going to sleep in the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even put this carpet in the floor; it's still rolled up. I'm sneaking inside the carpet. You know. Anyways, my birthday, my buddy says to me, "Well, we're going down to the Windsor House in Toronto. We go down there. Got a couple of girls coming from St. Catherine's, uh, which is about 100 kilometers away, or something. You know, it shows you how good we're doing with the women in Toronto when we're importing them from St. <laughs> St. Catharines. <laughs> bringing them in. <laughs> anyway. So. But uh, this, this pub was an Irish pub. That's what all the IRA bombers hang about, you know. The woman, well, I, I was the mascot for the women's dart team down there. They were the hardest, toughest woman I'd ever met in my life. You never says no to these women, you know. And I guess down there and I'm gonna meet these girls from St. St. Catherine's. My date, the blind date, she's never seen me. And I, I'm dressed like John Travolta, you see.
1: <laughs> staying alive, you know. <laughs> oh, just staying alive. <laughs>
0: and I'm up on top of this table, dancing like John Travolta to Irish music. <laughs> wow. And this girl from St. Catherine said to your friend, who's the guy you brought me all this way to meet? And she says, "You see the guy in the table?" <laughs> and she says, "Yeah, that's him." And she liked me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh.
0: Oh my god!
1: Right away, you have to get Alan on and in, in
0: involved in this relationship, right? And all right away, Alan on in a. She took me out of that rooming house. She had everything I needed. She had a job, a car. She had all. all, 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 She had a resume. All the good stuff. And she took me up there. She cleaned me up, and she moved. She got a transfer from Toronto uh, from Saint Catharines to Toronto. And the journey was on. And I'm clean. I I, I clean myself up, you know. I'm not there yet. You see, I'm not there yet. I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. I, I'm not into the addiction yet. I'm an alcoholic, I drink alcoholically, but I can stop. You see? I'm not living in my hell quite yet. So I clean myself up, I'm only going to smoke a little, drink a few glasses of wine with dinner, and I'm going to be a good guy. You see? And, and I have a son about ten miles away, and she wants me to get to see that boy. And you know that woman who I abandoned has kept the doors open for me to see that boy. The boy is now about ten. And and I, I have went to see him a few times. No, he's not, not about ten, but six or seven at a time. And I, I have went to see him a few times, you see. And uh but every time I make arrangements to go there, I have to stop and get some courage. You see? That little boy standing waiting on me and I have to go in for some courage, you know. And I'm an alcoholic. I don't know that, but I'm an alcoholic, right, see. And that boy is still waiting for me time after time after time. Father never, ever leaves the pub when he's gone for a drink. Eventually I did get up there. And I got there and uh, my boy is so happy he sees Dad. And he says, Dad, I want you to come out and meet my friends in the back. And I says, why, you want to show your dad off? He says, no, they don't believe I have a father. They don't believe I have a father. Could you imagine the turmoil of that young boy was going through and when he said his father was coming and he was looking forward to it? And children are cruel. Children are so cruel. This is such a family disease. And it has to be a family recovery. It has to be. You know? And we started uh, doing nice things, me and my lady. Uh, she started all over again and uh, we gained things. And I was only doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And she was happy. She didn't know any difference either Was my son. And I know by this time that I am ain't good at responsibilities. I am only good at looking after me. And I can't look after me by me. I have to have somebody. Look after me too. You know, I had my mother, I had my first wife, and now I have this lady, and I know for a fact that she is going to have to give up her time from me to give it to this kid, and I want out. But she's not like the other one, not a bit. <laughs> I, I run away again. She comes after me and she tells me, "Listen, sucker," you know, and I get a lawyer's letter. And I'm going to be working for the rest of my life for her and her daughter. I'm going to be working for the rest of my life for her and Lindsay. You know? I says, you've got to be joking. No. And I says, listen, honey, please take me back. Please take me back. You know, I'm a honey do. What can I do to get back in your good books, honey? I says, why can't you just be like my other wife? She says, what did she do? I says, she sent me a check for $12,700. <laughs> 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 a, a responsibility, huh? You know. And I had a little girl called Lindsay. She's 18. She's 18. You know. And and now I'm back drinking the way I was drinking before. I am now living in hell. Because every alcoholic has to go to hell. Because there's no hell like your own hell. And I am living in hell. And you know what an alcoholic home is like? You know. We 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 had two words for each other was F-U. you." You know, we called that hallway sex. You know, I would walk by her and she would say "f you," and I'd say F-U you too." You know, <laughs> you know, it was but the only sex I was getting. You. Know?
1: <laughs>
0: and I would wake up in the morning, And I'd be shaking and rattling and rolling, and I would have to have a drink in the morning. The light went on, four o'clock in the morning. Gotta have a drink. I'm paranoid. Paranoia is setting in in my life. Turn on the tap. Four o'clock in the morning. Turn on the radio. Put on the lights. Open the fridge.
1: And there it's. Oh God. I've Got a couple left. Oh, come in. And, and I got...
0: One. Two. <coughs> And she's standing right behind me. <laughs> you know, you son of a bitch. You're drinking at this time in the morning. You're drunken alcoholic. And you know why I drink? I drink because of you. You know, yes, you think this is drinking. I'll show you what drinking is. I'll show you what drinking is, lady. Wow. Give me your anger. I want your anger. Give me your anger. I can deal with anger. I'm an alcoholic. You see, I live in unmanageability. I want your anger. And then she started to talk to some of her friends in al (laughs) (laughs) So I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And honest to God, I meant every word I said when I said, please, honey, I'm only going to have a little bit... To help me stop shaking. I'm not going to drink today. And I meant that from the bottom of my heart. From the bottom of my heart I meant that. But I don't know that one is too many. I don't know that. A hundred is not enough. I don't know that. But I need one. I don't know any different. I need one. On. So she starts talking to these al people. And she starts treating me with pity. She looks at me and says, Good morning.
1: Shakes her head. <laughs> and I say, Give me your anger. I
0: want your anger. I don't want your pity. Please, honey. Please, honey. I'm only having one and she would walk up the stairs, close the door. You know. Alanon. She started intending Alan in the days, uh, and, uh, an Alan Unslip is a fleeting moment of compassion, and she's never had any since that day.
1: <laughs> Who blames her?
0: <laughs> a normal human being can't live like that. I go to hospital one day and I wake up five days later and I'm Velcro to a bed. I told you that my kidneys had failed, my bowels had failed, I like got hepatitis and jaundice. I'm in a room, I'm crying because I'm, I'm, I'm strapped down like an animal, and why and how did I get there? That wasn't even my plan. It wasn't my plan. My daughter coming to see me, my little four year old daughter, and she looked at her daddy and she said, daddy, 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 you just look like a banana daddy. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous had been there while I was in there for that five days because my wife had told them to come in here and leave some pamphlets. The doctor had told me that I was going to die, you know, and she was crying when the doctor was over the top of me. I don't. She was saying, "Doctor, tell him." She said, "Benny, you ain't. You've hit the jackpot this time. You're not coming coming out of here." And my wife said, "A. A. have been here and they've said." They're willing to come and talk to you. They're willing to come and talk to you. And you if you're going to die, Benny, you can die with some dignity. You can die with some dignity. And I was so angry. Dignity? What does she mean? You know something? I didn't even know what that word meant. I didn't know what that word meant. But because of my daughter, he says, I don't want to see her father dying like a banana. Please, bring the man. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen Braveheart. Right, well, I'm a Scotsman, and I don't go on too well with English, right, you know. So, uh if there's any English here tonight, I love you
1: today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm, I'm like Velcro. <laughs> anyway... <laughs>
0: And it was an Englishman who 12-stepped me. When the student is ready, the teacher will be provided. He came and 12-stepped me. I knew him. I hadn't seen him for over two years. The bum. And I knew him and I wasn't as bad as he was. He'd been sober two years, you see. I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and many in a wheelchair. I was telling the boys in the institution, the, the the center of the brothers down here, and that was so beautiful. Thank you for letting me in, be a part of that, carrying the message with you guys in there. It was so beautiful, you know. It was so beautiful. And I went to that AA meeting, and my stomach was out to here. I had lost eventually about 50 pounds, and but my stomach was out here, and I was like skinny and yellow and drawn, and I couldn't eat And uh, I was being fed intravenously. They were stabbing my stomach with big, with big needles to, to try and get the jaundice out of my system. You know? And I went to that meeting and, and I thought, I know how alcoholics, I drink with alcoholics. I know what they're like. I'll go there. I'll get them going. And I stood up at that meeting with my little gown on because I couldn't get a pair of pants on. I had this little gown on tied at the back. My ass was hanging out of it. (laughs) Right, and, and and I stood up and I said to the gentleman carrying the message, listen to a so-and-so like you would make anybody drink. And he never reacted. And he just walked over there. And I felt shame. I felt so little. I felt as if, oh my God, nobody reacted to me. You know, that's why I got my nose broke and my teeth kicked in there. Because I knew how to get reaction. You know, I knew how to get reaction. But you people never reacted to me, you see. And I tried to walk out of that place and (laughs) with my ass hanging out my back. And they said, Keep coming back, (laughs) Benny. (laughs) (laughs) One day at a time. You're no longer alone. (laughs) Get me out of this place. Now, I don't know what happened at that meeting. I don't have a clue. Something happened. Something happened deep down somewhere in my soul that I don't know where it is. I had a, I had, have have any of you ever seen a movie called Tombstone? And it's a phenomenal cowboy movie. I love a cowboy. I want to be a cowboy. Bad guy. And in that movie, Tombstone, there's all sorts of alcoholism, drug abuse, all mm-hmm. sorts of that. There's a guy called Ringo. He's a bad guy. Doctor Holiday's the big gun, right? You know. And Wyatt Earp says, and this Ringo's every time he's drunk, he's killing people, and and, and he's a decent guy, I guess, when he's sober, and this gang, and he says to him. Whitey says to Doc "Why is Ringo like that? Why is he like the way he is?" And he says, "He's got a hole in his stomach that size, and he doesn't know how to fill it." Right? And the reason, according to that movie, that Doc Holliday knew that is because he had the same hole. He knew what that alcoholic was going through. And that's what I had. I had a hole in my stomach. And when I went to that first meeting, something happened. Recovery started working in my life. I hated being there. I didn't want to be there. But I knew I had to be there. This is not a program for people who need it. This is a program for people who want it. And I didn't want to die. And I didn't want to be a banana. And I wanted my family back in my life, and you people had the answer. God, you had the answer. I knew people, so many people in my hometown, that had disappeared or died, who had left the country, who were in jail, and and that's what I thought, right? You know, I didn't know they were going to AA. You know, they were all going to AA, and they had a seat ready for me at every meeting. Every single meeting, they had a seat for me. I remember the first time I went to a meeting and I cried. I seen a guy who I had bust, an Englishman, in a washroom, in a toilet. I was the washroom champion of Okay? <laughs> <laughs> right? And I had bust this guy in a washroom the last time I'd seen him, was seven or eight years ago, Jimmy, and I had seen him. And he went, I was at this meeting, and he was talking about God. How can he talk about God? How can he talk about God when he lived the same life as I did? I cried. I went home with my wife and I cried. I didn't know that people like him or me could ever have gone in their life. You know something? I believed in God, but he didn't believe in me. That's what I thought. You know, How can a man like me who's done the things that I have done have anything to do with God? Oh, wow. But I came to you people and you told me. You told me about the second step. I came there on the first step because I'm telling you, man, I could live with unmanageability in my life. I was absolutely, totally powerless over anything I was putting down my throat. Anything. And you told me about my first, my first promise and he. About a power. And that power was you. That power was Alcoholics Anonymous. You know? And you kept me there for a long time. Because I'm a sick puppy, you know? And I was I was off my work for nearly three months. I didn't die. I filled the doctors. I didn't die. I came to you people. And you loved me when I could not love myself. I heard that name. I didn't believe it. And the medical started working in my life. Found a sponsor, found a group. Ninety meetings in ninety days. My sponsor says to me, "No, no, no, you cannot do ninety meetings in ninety days." He said, "You don't any good at responsibility. For you, we're going to make a special case. You're going to go to a meeting one day at a time, every one day at a time." And I says, "Oh, Jack, really?" "Yep." How long? He says, until you die.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah? I d- 90 days and 90 meetings and 90 days sounds like a good deal to me now.
1: <laughs>
0: you know? And he gave me his recovery. He shared his, his experience and his strength with me. Before I was a year, I was in service. There was five people at a business meeting and then he did an alternate GSR and I was at. And somebody said, well, you're supposed to have two years before you can come into service in this group. He says, when he's ready to be the GSR, I will make sure that he's got two years of sobriety. Whew. And the, and the journey, journey continued. It's been phenomenal. I love Alcoholics Anonymous with a passion. You have gave me things. You have told me things. You have gave me the promises in my life. Didn't he stop at the second step, of course? You know, there was so much. I was told many, many years ago, do not cheat yourself, Benny. Because if you think this is the best it's ever been, it's only going to get better and better and better. And that's not because my life is full of roses and love and everything else. It's not. It's the way that you people have taught me to react to life. It's what's on the inside of this alcoholic today. You know, I lost my my mother and my brother within three weeks in 1999. I was speaking. My mother phoned me, and I was going to a conference to speak up in the Leamington. And I went there, and she phoned me, and she says to me, "I want you to come home. Your brother's sick. He's got cancer." And I says, "Mom, I'll be home on Tuesday. I have to speak in Leamington, and I'm going to go there." She she cried. That little four feet eleven woman cried. I had never. I've heard her cry. And she says to me, Benny, yeah, honey, I don't want to be here to see your brother die. And I says, I'll be home on Tuesday, Mom. I'll be working. She says, thank you. I went to Leamington. I took a cell phone with me because it was a four-hour drive. Right? And I just as I was going to get my suit at 6.30 to change for dinner and my talk, the phone went... My wife says, Benny, prepare yourself. Your mother's died of a heart attack. And I went and gave that talk. I drove home, got on a plane, and went and buried my mother. I seen my brother. He was quite bad. I didn't know how bad. Filter says he's, this could be, i gone on for a long time. I flew home. After about 10 or 11 days, I can't remember. Because I had a commitment to to go to Ottawa and speak at the conference in Ottawa. I got in my car with my wife, Thanksgiving, drove to Ottawa. Thinking about my brother, thinking about my mother. Got to that conference. Saturday night, I was the closing speaker on Sunday, Saturday night later on. I got a phone call, went to the reception desk. My brother had died. I was devastated. You people would not let me be alone. You people would not let me live in my self-pity. I wanted to. I can tell you, I wanted to. When I read the footprints and it says, Lord, where were you when I needed you? And there was only one set of footprints. And he says, I carried you when nobody else could. When I looked around at my footprints, there was hundreds of people. Who wanted to carry Benny? Hundreds. Hundreds. You would not let me be alone. You would not let me get into myself, self-pity. I wanted to be in a depression. I wanted to be full of anger and hate. But you kept with me. You listened to me whine and you listened to me swear and you listened to me curse. But you wouldn't let me be alone. I love you so much for it. You didn't allow me to be the person I wanted to be. I wanted to be lonely, but you wouldn't let me be. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think that could happen anywhere in this world, but in these rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm so privileged and proud to be a member. You gave me the opportunity to go and see that boy who I had never seen in five years, so that I could go. I took him to a conference. I brought his grandmother over so that I could open the doors just a little bit to say I was sorry. You know? And when I got the opportunity, after about seven, seven, seven years or something, to get the opportunity to say I was sorry to that man, you know what he said? He put his hand in my knee and he looked at his father in his eyes and he said, Dad, I love you, Dad. I just, I don't know nothing about alcoholism. I don't know nothing about your journey. I just like where you're at today. Another reason for staying sober one day at a time. Beautiful. I was taking my daughter to a concert after I was two years sober. She was six. I had an old beat-up car. She was sitting in the front seat, just disappeared, like Jerry Lewis and that, that movie, the whatever, uh, it just you know. And she looked at me and she says to me, Daddy, you don't drink anymore, Daddy. And I says, no, honey, I don't. I don't drink anymore. And my hair stood up my arms and back of my neck. And I think, what is a six-year-old thinking looking at her father? And she says, I remember you used to drink, Daddy. She, yeah, honey. She says, I remember you used to come in late at night and everybody was in bed. You know, I thought, this is the best I can do, you know. You know, I'll, I'll stay out late. It was an excuse, another excuse. I'll stay out late and make sure my daughter's in bed and then I'll go up early in the morning and go to work. And she'll not like where her father was, right? And I'm coming home. And she says, I remember you used to come home and get everybody out of bed, Daddy. Do you remember the time you were fighting with Mummy and you were smashing the glasses? And I got between you and Mummy and I cut my feet. Do you remember that, Daddy? And I said, yes. But I didn't. No. I'm a black-eyed drinker. I'm not responsible. I don't know how I'm going to react when I put that thing down my throat. I don't have a clue what I do. I thought I was just going home and crashing, yeah. She looked at her father and she says to me, Daddy, Daddy, you don't do that anymore. Wow. Another reason for staying sober one day at a time. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's a family recovery. And I get the opportunity to take my family on holidays and vacations because I'm not giving my money to a dealer, or I'm not giving my money to, to to the bar tab, right? I can I can use that money to do family things, right? And I remember the first time I took my son and daughter away, right? Took them down to Florida, and at six o'clock in the morning, I'm walking along the beach with my daughter, and there's a guy casting, right? And I go up there and I say, "Have you caught any fish?" And he looked at me and he says to me, "No." And he goes in his bag, he takes out a nice cold one. He says, you look like a drinking man, Benny. He says, have a cold one, six o'clock in the morning. My daughter jumped in front of him and he said, don't you dare give my daddy a beer. If my daddy drinks a beer, he'll turn into a banana and
1: die. <laughs> 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 <Woo>! <laughs> From the mouth of babes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you affected me? Have you affected my family? Of course you have. My my daughter was only four when she started going down there playing the piano and the meeting when I was setting the meeting up and she would get the mic and she would run up to the mic and say, Hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm an alcoholic. And I said, No, you're not She said, Yes I am. No you're not. Yes I am. No you're not. Yes I am. And you know why? Because she loved you unconditionally because I was taking you people home to my house. And you were only drinking, you were only getting them out of bed, you were only causing trouble, and you were loving your father, her father. Amazing, eh? It's amazing, you know. You know, I sponsor quite a few people in Alcoholics Anonymous today. And I remember the time in my life when I wasn't even capable of walking a dog. I remember that well. I remember that day. That tragedy day, it was the coldest day in the world, it was Boxing Day, and we had family around. It was amateur week, you know, between Christmas and New Year when everybody drinks. It was amateur week, right? And everybody's having a few, and I'm having a few more, you know. And I, and, and we've got family there, and of course I've got a few of my drunken friends there. And, uh, my wife says, Benny, I say yeah honey, uh, go walk the dog. And I say, okay, go walk the dog, you know. To my buddy. Come well, let's go walk the dog, right, you know. So, down to the basement, pull the tile down, take a bag of that stuff of we don't talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous, roll two big cheats and chong joints, you know. I <laughs> ended the snowbank, I had a Mickey planked in the snowbank all over the place, right, to dig the Mickey of uh, Silent Sam, you know. I did a normal walking the dog night, of course, you know. <laughs> Having a spiritual awakening. <laughs> An experience in my life, you know. Back home. Stoned and paranoid. <laughs> Sitting in the corner. Don't talk to me, I'm having a good time. <laughs> my wife says to me, Benny, yeah honey? Where's the
1: dog? <laughs> I lost the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't capable of blo- walking a goddamn
0: dog, eh? Coldest day in the world. I had to wrap up. Go find that dog stuck to a lamppost somewhere, you know? <laughs> Beautiful. You gave me the ability to laugh. You gave me the ability to share and enjoy. I don't want to be sober if I can't hear that laughter on Alcoholics Anonymous. This is what it's all about. Not just because of me, because I laugh all the time. I laugh when, when I heard that phenomenal talk from Victor. I just wish it had went on a wee bit longer. He was so good. And uh, I love you people. You know, I love you so much. I uh, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank the committee for having me. I'd like to thank the, the people who came and paid their money so that we can continue these beautiful roundups. I'd like to thank the tapers who you have to buy their tapes because, you know, without these people, we wouldn't have the opportunity to listen to Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and Chuck Chamberlain and Clancy. We wouldn't have the, the opportunity to listen to these beautiful people in little life for five bucks, you know. We have to keep that on. And I'd like to thank everybody. Thank you for my life. My family thanks you and I thank you. God bless everybody.